We are going to talk about what it means this morning to be free in Christ. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about freedom in Christ, people go off on tangents, uh, whatever they think that means. But ultimately, because Christ has victory over all of his enemies and we are in Christ, we share in that victory. And so we're going to unpack that this morning as Paul unpacks it for us. And uh, so last week, Friday, Saturday night, I got a text from Pastor Andrew. And so he, uh, he's incredibly um, good with guarding my time on Saturdays. I almost never hear from him. And, and uh, it was one word, and it was uh, followed by a question mark. It said, talk, question mark. And I'm like, oh boy, this is not going to be good. And so I, I found it <coughs> late. By the way, I'm... I'm struggling with a throat cold, so I'm not super sick, so don't feel bad for me. It's just hard to preach, so <clears throat> here we go. <clears throat> Let's do this anyway. And so get this text, and um, late at night I give him a call, and I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. And um, y'all are really silent. Like, is he going to be okay? I will be okay. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> you're praying. And so I uh, get this text late at night. I'm like, this is not going to be good. And so I call him up, and he's like, dude, you're not going to believe this, man. I'm, I read the, the preaching calendar wrong, and I took like three of your verses for next week. <clears throat> and I know you probably prepared. And I said, I did. And just like Paul said, it was no problem for him to repeat himself. It's no problem for me to repeat myself. So he stole some of my sermon, all right? And uh, one of the things I'm a big believer in is protecting my team. And so I'm protecting Pastor Andrew. No, he stole my sermon, all right? And so, <clears throat> so you're getting part of it again, but not all of it. And uh, so uh, I was, this morning we're talking about Jesus vanquishing all his enemies. And I was thinking about, man, who in my mind comes to mind when I think about someone who vanquished all their enemies? Of course, my mind goes to sports. And uh, so this is a terrible illustration because I don't want to you know, hold this person up as a, anywhere close to being in the same category as our Savior, Jesus Christ. But when I think about someone who vanquished all of their enemies, there's a debate raging right now in our culture around the NBA about who is the goat. If you don't know what the word goat means, it's a stupid term, but it's the greatest of all time, the goat. And so apparently there's a debate. I don't get it. No debate at all, okay? I lived in Chicago during the Michael Jordan era. No debate about the who's the greatest of all time, right? You get the six championships, you win six championships, you're the goat, all right? Now, some of you, there's a couple in here. Last service, I saw people getting fidgety, right? The LeBron James fans get fidgety right now. And, uh, and a couple came up and built the case afterwards. Listen, I'll listen to your case, but you're wrong. Okay, so um, total domination of his enemies. That's Paul's building that case for the person of Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, and when we're in Christ, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian. When you're in Christ, you are free in Christ. Why? Because you share in the victory of Christ and his complete and total domination of all of his enemies. And Paul brings out three here this morning, so let's move through them. First of all, if you're in Christ, you have complete salvation. You are saved from the penalty of your sin, and it's complete from beginning to end. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Paul here is saying that Christ has put to death the flesh, the human nature inside of us. And he's using the Old Testament symbol of circumcision. And by the way, the symbols of our faith were never intended to save us. They're not like religious acts that, that save us from the penalty of our sin. And I think some of us even do that today, right? Like, man, I, as a kid, I was baptized or you know, I was confirmed, or man, I go to church every week, or I give my money, or I give my time, and somehow we think our religious service somehow saves us from the penalty of our sin. No religious act does that, including the Old Testament uh, symbol of salvation, which is circumcision. Now, some of you are sitting here, like your kids are sitting next to us, you're like, please don't park on circumcision, please don't park on circumcision, please don't park on... So, you know, and the reason your kids don't know is that they don't put Genesis 17 in the children's Bible, do they? You know, with Abraham running around with a flint knife saying, You're never, I heard from the Lord, and guess what he told me, right? And so they just don't put that in the children's Bible. Thank you for laughing. The first service got real awkward and uncomfortable. So um, you guys seem to have a better sense of humor. All right. Listen, the outward signs of Scripture were, are always reminders of spiritual and heart realities. And by, and by the way, the Old Testament symbol of circumcision was only given to men. The New Testament symbol of, of baptism is given to both believing men and women. And so what Paul's reminding is this outward symbol of circumcision is, is reminding us that this human nature, this sinful nature, it needs to be cut off. We need to be saved from our sin. And it was always intended to be spiritual. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses writes, And the Lord your God <coughs> will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. See, it was always intended to be a heart issue. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Stephen, when he was preaching mostly to a, to a group of Jews in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, he's trying to help them understand that this outward act of circumcision was not what God was looking for. It didn't save them from their human condition, their sin nature. When he said in Acts 7, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in your heart and ears. In other words, you don't, you don't hear what God is saying and what God is doing. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. We need the removal of our sinful hearts to be saved, and Christ has done that for us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that's why Paul says in Colossians 2.11, it's the circumcision made without hands. We, we get this in John chapter 3. Remember in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus shows up to Jesus? And he's trying to understand the things that Jesus is teaching. And Jesus says, you, you can't even begin to see the kingdom of God unless you're what, church? Anybody know? Unless you're born again, right? You need a spiritual awakening which is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of God through us, where we understand our desperate need, where we understand, man, I, the, I need the removing of my sin nature. 
And by the way, this was always the gospel thread, even throughout the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel says, in verse chapter 36, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, gi- uh, and give you a heart of flesh. God was always intending to take away and pay for, through Christ, the sin nature. And then give us the hope of the gospel, which is to be alive in Christ, Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so, <clears throat> complete salvation, the, de- the deeds of the flesh have been put to death in Christ and we are alive in Christ. And baptism is our symbol of our union with Christ. Last week I had the privilege of praying with some of our prayer team members on Sunday night and one of, one of the members of the prayer team said, you know, as they were praying, we're talking about this series in Colossians, and they were praying and <clears throat> thanking the Lord for being in Christ and our union with Christ. And one of the things they said, which I thought was true and fascinating, was like, I don't even completely understand this union with Christ. And I'm like, me either, you know. It's a little bit mysterious. <clears throat> but baptism is our symbol. And by the way, let me park on baptism for a moment. I'm super excited about something. August the 26th, okay, I hope you'll put this in your calendar, in the evening, Uh, We're in Gloucester, you know, this last uh, six months we've been cultivating our Gloucester campus, and in the fall we're going to do our public launch. We're going to equip the people up there to invite their neighbors, and it's going to be our public launch. And so on August 26th, man, we want to pray, and I want to encourage you to come up there and pray so that the gospel will go forth through that campus. And so we're going to have a prayer night, but we're also going to do baptism up there. And so I want to encourage you, you know, if you're here and and you've been praying about baptism, you've been praying about declaring publicly and taking the symbol that you are a a believer of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you. That's going to be our night, okay, August the 26th. And we have a baptism class that starts this Wednesday night. We ask everybody that is going to be baptized to go through a class so you have an understanding of what you're doing, why you're doing it. And so that's this Wednesday night. So if that's something you've been thinking about uh, or you want to investigate, go to the class, okay? Sign up out at the welcome desk. Let us know you're coming, okay? So it's Wednesday night at 6.30 right here, okay? And it's, it, it's, we're going to be celebrating those who are standing up publicly and saying, you know what? I do believe the gospel. I do believe that Christ took care of my sin nature and he rose again, that we have the gift and the promise of eternal life. And Christ was raised from the dead, so we too, by the Holy Spirit living within us, walk in a new life. Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes this in verse 26, he says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. By the way, I can preach a whole sermon right here, but I hear this say, I hear this said a lot in our culture, and it's, I think it's said with a misunderstanding where people will often declare, well, we're all children of God. Now, we're all created in the image of God, and so because we're created in the image of God, that, that means we have certain things that even the animals don't have. We, we have a conscience. We have the ability to think logically. We have the ability to make re- rational and reasonable and logical decisions. But to be a child of God is to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul's very clear about that. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, and you're sons of God through going to church. Isn't that what it says? 
No, what? Sons of God through what? Faith. Faith in what? In the gospel, in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So in other words, this baptism is symbolic that, man, I'm in Christ. And I've believed and I've received the gospel. And I believe and receive this complete salvation that Christ paid for my sin. He, 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 he took my human nature and he paid for my sinful human nature and he raised from the dead. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you believe that our God raises the dead. One amen. Listen, I think when you're a Christian, man, you, <coughs> you come to church a lot, you, you hear this so often... You forget about this. Listen, every single one of us in this room is an expiring contract, right? We've got an ending point. It's, the, it's one of the great enemies of, of, our, of, of our humanity. It's death itself. None of us gets out of it alive. And Christ has total victory over death. And if you're a Christian, you believe in a God who raises the dead. Isn't that great news? And how do we know he raises the dead? He's already done it, yes? He's already done it, and so we know he can do it, and he promises to do it for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you just sang the song. We believe in a God who is true to his what, church? Promises, right? And so he's done it. He said, I'm going to do it. And we know he's true to his promises. And so Christ has vanquished all of his enemies, including 1 Corinthians 15, 26, which I don't have in your notes, but including the last and final enemy itself, death itself. Christ has offered us complete salvation. Number two, Paul says, Christ completes our salvation from beginning to end, and he also in Christ offers us complete salvation forgiveness. In Christ, we have complete forgiveness. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God had made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so now Paul is tying these two things together, and he reminds us that being spiritually alive is the gracious work of God. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're spiritually alive because God has worked in you. Now, imagine if I brought a, a corpse up here this morning. As an illustration, I had a corpse up here, and I, I looked at that corpse, and I said, listen, you need, to, you need to get up, and you need to love God, and you need to love others, and you need to walk in righteousness, and you need to walk in holiness. Not only is, would that be difficult for that corpse to do, it would be impossible for that corpse to do, Yes? Why? Because what does that corpse need? It doesn't need the law preached to it. It doesn't doesn't need, hey, be good preached to it. It needs a new heart. It needs to be alive first. 
And Paul says, man, you guys, Colossians, and us as Christians, we used to be dead, but now we've been awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit so that now we beat with life. Your spiritual condition works itself out to a physical condition. Did you ever think about that? Your spiritual condition works itself out to a physical condition. So if you're spiritually dead, it works itself out to physical death. But because the Holy Spirit lives in us, guess what? Our spiritual condition works itself out to what? Eternal life. Isn't that great news? It's not, that, it's not that being good is difficult. It's impossible apart from God being gracious to us and making us spiritually alive. And how did he do that? By forgiving our sins. Paul says he's canceled your debt. And so this is where the law of God is important to understand the law of God. Why in the world did God give us the law? Why in the world did he give us the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments show us the character of God. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments let us know who our God is and what He demands. And so in the Old Testament, okay, when the law of God was given, it was given with covenant blessings for the keepers of the law and covenant cursings for those who can't keep the law. And what the Old Testament was supposed to do for the children of Israel, it was supposed to let them know, you know what, I can't keep the law, and what I really deserve is covenant cursings, and what I really need is to be saved from the cursings that God said is given to those who are not law keepers. What happened in the nation of Israel is they thought, man, if we add more and more laws to it, we'll be able to keep the law, and they had this misunderstanding. The Ten Commandments is the character of God, and we should read them and go, man, I can't do that. Every single one of us has disobeyed every single one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, be honest. Have you ever, have you ever told a lie? I mean, be honest right? Sure. Sure we've told lies. So guess what that makes you? No one wants to say it. It makes you a liar, right? It's what's in our hearts. And so what we owe God is a debt to His character and to His law, but Paul says Christ has canceled that debt, and by how? By paying for his, our sin. And I'm going to tell you something, if you missed last week's sermon, Pastor Andrew's sermon, and you missed out, and I know maybe you saw it online, but you missed what we experienced here as we took our sins, man, and we nailed them to the cross, and we left them there. Why? Because our debt has been canceled because it was paid for in Christ. Well, how? By nailing His Son to the cross. God nailed His Son to the cross to pay the debt that we owed by not keeping His law. Isaiah 53, the prophet says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. <clears throat> Christ paid our debt to offer complete forgiveness. And complete forgiveness is offered in Christ. And if you're here this morning, you don't yet know Christ, and you're still living up to this shame of your past and your sin and your life, listen, Christ offers forgiveness, and it is graciously offered to you. It's a gift of grace. Ephesians 1, 
Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And by the way, our sins are completely removed. That's why we started the sermon series with where Paul started. He calls us saints. It's not because we're perfect. It's because in Christ, our sins are completely removed. Some of you are still living up to the name of your sin. You're calling yourself what you used to be. That's why we nailed it to the cross with Christ and we left it there because our sins are forgiven. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Sin and shame are gone when we're in Christ. Isn't that great news? And by the way, our God is eager to forgive. He's so eager that he sent his one and only son. Listen, there is a judgment day coming where we're going to see the wrath of God, but we live in this now and not yet time where God is freely offering his gospel to all of us, the good news that our sin can be forgiven, and we enjoy the complete victory of Christ over all his enemies. <clears throat> Ezekiel 18, the prophet writes, speaking for the Lord, he says, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God. And the answer is no, and not, and not rather that he should turn from his ways and live. Listen, to connect with your creator is easy and it's difficult. How is it easy? It's easy because the gospel is simple to understand and it's simple to apply. How do we apply it? By grace through faith. When we repent of our sin and we believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Repentance means I call it what God calls it. If it's a sin, I'm calling it a sin. I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to believe that Jesus paid for my sin and he rose again, authenticating his claims of being the Son of God and that his victory is now my victory. That's easy. You want to know what makes it hard? Pride. Pride makes it hard because the beginning of the gospel is to humble ourselves. The beginning of the gospel is to say, man, I have need. I need saving. The beginning of the gospel is I'm rebellious, and, I, and, and what I deserve is the punishment of God, but because he's gracious, I can have the forgiveness. And by the way, at the root of every particular sin, if I was going to go through particular sins of <clears throat> sexual sin and addiction type sins and tongue sins where we speak unkindness and untruth. Uh, the, the, at the root of every particular sin is pride. Man, I don't want to do things God's way. I want to do things my way. God doesn't know the best. I know the best. But we're a people that have been forgiven and we have a God who wants to forgive. And by the way, what's the overflow of that as a church? It should motivate us to be a community of forgiveness. And this should be a community where we freely forgive one another, not hold grudges. Ephesians 4, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Christ has given us complete forgiveness. 
And so as believers, we're free. Why? Because our salvation is sure and our salvation is complete. And forgiveness is complete. Why? Because of our unity with Christ. We have complete forgiveness because our sin was paid for on the cross. And finally, we share in total victory over all of Christ's enemies, and it's assured. Christ has complete victory over his enemies. Number three. Christ has complete victory over his enemies. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I love, love, love this verse. Ready? He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, let's park here for a minute. Ready? Let's park here. I bet you've probably never given this verse a lot of thought, so here we go. So, let's start with this. Who are the enemies of Christ? Who are the enemies of Christ? Well, there's three enemies, according to Scripture. There's the world... Philosophies and thinking, which Paul says in verse 8, if we were back a couple weeks, Christ vanquished the philosophies of the world. It's the flesh, it's the sin nature, which we just talked about in, in verse 13, with the, with, the, with the circumcision of the heart, where the human nature is taken care of by Christ paying for our sin on the cross, and it's the authorities, and certainly spiritual authorities over us or the devil. So it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, verse 15. And Christ put his enemies, according to Paul, to open shame. What does this mean? Okay, so the word here is a great word, okay? And and we don't (coughs) fully grasp it in English, so let me illustrate it, okay? The word here for open shame was the same word in, in early Bible times used of a Roman general, okay? So if a Roman general went to war with a nation that stood against the nation of Rome. This general would lead his troops, usually to a faraway land. And so in Bible times, I know this shocks you, there was no internet, okay? So, so getting news sometimes took months before you know what would happen. And so the Roman general would take his troops, he might march to a foreign land, and it, he would have victory. And then what he would do is, is when he announced that victory, he would come back to Rome, and he would take the enemies of Rome, and he would put them to open shame. And he did it in two ways. First, the beginning of the parade would have the bounty or the loot that he robbed from the other country. So he would steal their gold, he'd take their silver, he'd take anything of value. And that would be the beginning of the parade, that Rome was now richer and better because of this raid of the Roman general. And then at the back end of the parade, he would have the bedraggled prisoners And it might be a king or a governor or those who are a part of the upper society of this other country that was now vanquished and defeated. And he would drag them through through the streets in shame of their loss to the Roman army. So how does that apply to Christ? This is what Paul says Christ has done to his enemies. What does that mean? Listen, as a believer, we don't fear death, the final enemy. Christ mocks death. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's done. It's gone. It's vanquished. And in Christ, we're going to share in his resurrection. Isn't that great news? 
In Christ, injustice is gone, and worldly philosophies are defeated, and sin is done away with. And he show and here's the you want to know what his what his loot is, what his what his victory is, what his gold and silver is? It's you and I. We are the trophies of his grace that he parades around and he shows off how he takes sinners that are now saved and they're now trophies of his goodness. Isn't that great news? If you can't clap it out, you can't clap. I have a, I brought some hand-drawn pictures this morning. I have a box, actually three boxes at home <laughs> of my children's artwork. This was given to me years ago. It's a folder made out of duct tape. Everybody needs one of these, all right? This, this folder is indestructible, made out of Gorilla Tape, okay? And it houses a couple of pieces of artwork. I brought one from each of my children, right? I know you probably can't see it. It's pencil drawn. Uh, this is from my oldest son. Great picture. He's in the, he's, there's probably some psychology here where he's in the middle between me and mom and the other kids' siblings are small and off to the side. I don't know what that means. <clears throat> probably means something, some child psychologist. Here's another one. It's a great picture of me. It's a portrait. I had hair. I love this one, you know, from my son. Here, here's one from my daughter, right? She's in this service. She's ready to crawl under a rock because I didn't ask permission. Okay, so great. When she was probably four, she made this an Easter photo, right? I mean, an Easter picture she drew for me, and Easter photo. I don't know if they had photography back then, but uh, anyway, um, and she wrote this to me. She said, I know today's, e dear dad, I know today's Easter. I know that God died on the cross for me and you and everybody. That's how much he loves us. And I love you too. I love you, daddy. That's awesome, right? I didn't want to take issue with the theology that Easter's actually about the resurrection, not about his death. But anyway, you know, she's four, you know. But you parents know this, right? What do you do with these drawings? Where do they go? Where do they go, parents? On the refrigerator, right? How many of y'all put them up in the river? And you mount them for the world to see. Why do you do that? Because your kid's Rembrandt? No, nobody's paying for this. Well, these are the trophies of my kids, and I love them. I still have boxes of them. I don't think I've ever thrown any of them out that have been given to me. And I waited for an audience of hundreds to embarrass them. I couldn't wait to get them out. But... <laughs> you are the trophy of God's grace. And last week you took that name that has, you've let it define you. You nailed it to the cross. Now leave it there. Because you've been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, for we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works, which God prepared beforehand <coughs> that we should walk in them. The word workmanship literally means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Isn't that great news? Of his redeeming grace. And when you share in his victory, you're the bounty that he brings home and he shows off as his trophy of his victory and his grace.
But he does more than that. It's more than leave, leave your sin at the cross. There's one more step. Because here's the deal. Christ reverses our shame. And let me explain how this happens, okay? Probably in verse 15, probably, when Paul uses the word rulers, it could be the devil to be sure, but it could also be the government rulers, the, the Jewish religious rulers, and of course, Satan himself. And so I want you to think about this, what Paul's talking about here, as they nailed Christ to the cross. See, Christ came into the world, the God wrapped himself in flesh and stepped in the world. And what did he begin to do? He began to trample on the authority of the rulers of this world. And they didn't like it. So what did they do? They used their authority and they took the Son of God and they stripped him naked in shame. And they put him on a cross for public contempt and they celebrated in triumph over him as he died on the cross. And it looked like all the authorities of the earth had won, government, Jewish, and Satan himself. And it looked like once again, death had reigned supreme even over the sinless one. But Jesus Christ, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, flipped the script. He flipped the script. And three days later, guess what? The grave couldn't hold him. And three days later, he took all the rulers and all the authorities captive and beaten because Satan couldn't stop the resurrection, the government couldn't stop the message, and the grave could no longer hold his children. Jesus took his enemies and he stripped them naked as the facade that they are, and he held them in public contempt as he appeared to many, and he led his enemies through the streets in public triumphal procession as the redeemed children of God gather each week in corporate worship and sing his praises. Amen? And so... That sin that you nailed to the cross, you no longer live under that name. But here's the deal. Your old story is his loot, is his bounty. That old story that you, want to, that you think, man, that's the most shameful thing about me, is the very thing that God wants to use to show off his grace. We are his workmanship. He takes your artwork and he puts it on the fridge and he says, check this out. This is my kid that I've redeemed and I've restored. And yes, they, you can now say, yeah, I used to be a pornographer. I used to be a drunk. I used to be an addict. I used to be suicidal. I used to be a murderer. I used to be gay. I used to be a fornicator. But Christ has taken the enemies of the flesh and he's put them to open shame. And he takes our story and he puts it on the display, and he says, this is what Christ can do, and we share in his victory. Isn't that great news? And so that sin that you keep thinking about, it's beyond just forgiving, forgiven, it's now an open display to show the redeeming work of Christ. 
and that injustice where you were a victim and you keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it where it's defined you and held you prisoner, you can now turn it over to Christ and say, you know what? He's the God of justice, and in his timing, he'll take care of justice. You are now free in Christ to walk a new path. And that shame that you feel, man, Christ knows that shame as he hung on the cross, but his resurrection vanquished it to new hope. And that story that you hope that no one finds out about is the very story that God wants to use to show off his redeeming forgiveness and grace. It's complete and total victory. Complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and complete victory over all of his enemies. When we repent of our sin, believe in Christ, we are united with him. Christ is victorious over his enemies. And you, and your story is the trophy of his redeeming grace. Use your story to show off Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you redeemed the very thing that we should be ashamed of. Yeah, that's who I used to be. Yeah, I used to be that. Man, Christ is victorious. He's taken my past. He's put it to open shame. He's paid for it, laid it in the grave, and the grave couldn't hold him, and he's victorious. And we share in his victory. And we are the trophies of his amazing grace. And so as the people of God, we sing in triumph of a great and mighty Savior who alone saves us. May we be the people that walk free this week in Christ, sharing in his victory over all his enemies. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen. We're going to celebrate that victory. I don't know if you noticed this, but the first song we sang this morning articulates this verse to the T. And so I can't think of a better way this morning than to go out singing about Jesus, whose name alone can save. So let's go out singing. Would you stand with me? If you are here this morning and you need prayer, do not leave this morning without going to our prayer room and having someone pray with you in the prayer chapel. If you're here this morning and you need to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ so that you can be a trophy of his redeeming grace, do not leave without going and visiting someone in the prayer room who would love to open the scriptures and say, this is what it means to be a trophy. So let's go out, let's sing about Jesus. His name alone saves. Yeah.